Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Here today, gone. Today, the pace of change can be confusing. Then again, it can be inspiring. Every year, Harvard Business School Executive Education helps executives like you build the self-confidence and decision-making skills it takes to thrive on change. Fight change with change. Go. Start by going to hbs.me slash go. That's hbs.me slash go. This episode of the Managing Mujer podcast is brought to you by Hotel Europa in Madrid. I know a lot of you guys ask us for traveling tips to Madrid regularly, what to see, what to do, where to eat, what games to go to, what time of year should I travel in, um, what is the best time to go to the Bernabeu, where to stay. Here's where you start. You book your hotel at Hotel Europa and you take it from there. Why? Because they're in Seoul. They're right in downtown. You open up your balcony door. You see Seoul, an overhead view. The great thing about that is you close the patio door. You sleep comfortably because no noise gets inside. Seoul, by the way, is where Sergio Ramos and the team go after a trophy the next day, I believe, to have a speech, say some words. Uh, A quick metro ride away from the Bernabeu, not far from Cibeles either. And... um, it, the Wi-Fi is also great. I can vouch for that. I have recorded many podcasts from that hotel. Um, they hook us up a lot, and they do a lot for us, and we want to make sure that everybody knows that's where you go. HotelEuropa.eu is where you go to book your stay at Hotel Europa in Madrid. And without further ado, this is the Managing Madrid podcast with myself, Kian Sobani, Gabe Lesra, and Omarvin to talk about the win over Espanol. Let's go.
Hello and welcome. It is your Managing Madrid podcast for this week. It is the week of September 23rd, 2018. This is your host, Gabe Lezra. I'm joined by, as always, my man, Keon Sobani. Keon, how are you doing? Doing fantastic. That's Talking good, about a man. W and a Barcelona draw. W dubs. And to enjoy this with us uh, is Omar Vind as well. Om, what's up, man? I'm also doing great. Couldn't be better. It's not often that Barcelona drop points, especially given that that season they had last year. So I'm I'm doing great. Yeah, things are good. I didn't watch that game though. So if you're here to uh, have uh, analysis of Barcelona Hirona. I don't think any of us watched it, so sorry. None of us watched it. <laughs> Just pleasantly check the score yeah. and check that there was a bunch of controversy. I'm going to go watch it tomorrow morning before Churros of Tactica, so I'm excited to go Dude, through yeah, it. Yeah, that's dope. But from what I read, PK was not happy, and just that warms my heart. Yeah. If PK is not happy, that makes me happy, so I'm doing even better now. The world is a better place when that dude is in a bad, <laughs> is in a bad mood, just generally. Uh, it's like it's like in in um it's a wonderful life whenever you hear a bell ring there's a new angel well whenever you see PK have a meltdown there's a new angel the world has a new angel today it's beautiful <laughs> <laughs> that also uh, applies to when Marcos Llorente comes on the pitch and Marcos Llorente we will get to that because um Marcos Llorente put in a great shift but I think the important thing to just talk about right now Real Madrid 1 Espanyol 0 um, Real Madrid getting the big W at home uh, on a game where Asensio scored a beautiful legal goal that was initially called offside by the uh, Mateo Lajos, who I am going to rant about later in the show, I guarantee it. Uh, and then on VAR, it was proven that he wasn't offside. It was clear and obvious. So um, the goal counted, and uh, that was the final score. Madrid keeping another shutout despite some... Uh, catastrophic defending from Sergio Ramos, who really did seem like he wanted to give the game away uh, at the end there. Uh, so, guys, what are, what are your initial reactions to this? Uh, I mean, this is the, the first appearance of what I think we can almost begin to call the Real Madrid B team with uh, Bale and Kroos uh, both on the bench uh, and the attack featuring um, Benzema, Asensio, and Isco. Well, at this point during the podcast, um, I this is where Ohm usually goes on his epic monologue, and then we have no idea what to, how to take it from there. But maybe I, I I will just start off by saying that um, these this is the most cliche way to kind of start the podcast. But these are the games that you need to just win La Liga, and we we knew that none of the games were going to be just steamrolling opponents. And Espanol, terrific start to the season, by the way. And I thought I thought they actually, you know. Where, where other teams in the past, this season, in the small sample size we have, can just buckle under the pressure of going behind a goal against Real Madrid and just collapsing and conceding more and conceding more, conceding a lot of possession and goals. I thought they, they were admirable in that sense that they, they kept it locked. They, they were pragmatic and they didn't have many scoring chances, obviously, but um, they did shoot their shot on a couple of occasions and Borja Iglesias hitting the crosser. But my point is that these are the games that sometimes you just need to grind out 1-0. And that's it's it's very, very good and efficient way to play, especially with the players we were resting, especially Bale, our main goal-scoring threat this season, was on the bench. Um, we To me, this is a, a great result. 
Uh, and like Varan said after the game, we're not going to win every game. We're not going to give him money to every game, um, yeah. or even by two or three goals for that matter. But we do need to win every game we can. Yeah, you got to grind this type of match out. I mean, and it really was a grind. And this is when I'm going to do my Mateo Lahoth um, rant. The refereeing was the main subject in this match for me. Uh, he was absolutely a catastrophically bad. Uh, I would say. It, it went in Madrid's favor sometimes. It went against Madrid sometimes. It really it had no particular direction. But what he did was he took over the match by selectively and randomly enforcing rules. So, for example, he would have a play that was a total foul, not call foul. Then right after that, call foul on a play that didn't look like a foul at all. He did it constantly. He was constantly running around the pitch yelling at people. Uh, and 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 taking over the game, he allowed a lot of physical play, uh, but then would randomly enforce a uh, the the rules against a team against a player just because he felt like it. So if you playing if you're calling a game and kind of got let him play mentality, which is sort of his style, you can't just then randomly run over and give someone a yellow card for a hard tackle. You've been calling the game. Uh, you've been calling the game like let him play all you know, the entire match. I mean, it's it, it was random, it was bad, and he allowed Espanol to execute a game plan that really, really hampered Madrid's buildup simply because he uh, allowed a huge amount of physical play and then would randomly stop the physical play for a minute or two and then start it up again. It was it was all just awful, terrible. Terrible refereeing, and the only, luckily, the only people that got, you know, the one that really counted, the people that really counted, it wasn't him, it was the VAR referees, got it right. That was good. In my article, my post-game article, I kind of, I just described the game as lawless, in, in the sense that maybe it's the fact that we got this game without, we won this game without Gareth Bale. Um, and who knows what kind of tackles that he w- might have endured in this in a game that that did feel like lawless or at least randomly selected rules, as you put it. Um, to me, Lahoz just like likes cameras. That's that's all he's he's been like this for years. Um, and I think the perfect gig for him would just be going to the WWE. Like he would be a star referee. <laughs> he could he could kind of write his own script, go on stage, get a bunch of camera time. Yeah, seriously. Just I do dis- it. I, dis- I disagree, Keon. I think he'd be better as a defensive midfielder, as an actual player. <laughs> I don't know if you guys noticed, but consistently this man would like block off the passing lanes for opposing teams in like, the most crucial way possible. Yeah. Like, there Tamiro was had inst- to slide tackle him. Yeah, there was an instance where Casimir actually tackled him because Lahoz was in the position where a defensive midfielder would normally be. And this is not just me... <laughs> Just, you know, just being biased and making this up. Iniesta, a long time ago, complained about his positioning. Lahoz actually went on an interview and said, Iniesta is the only person who has a problem with my positioning on the field. <laughs> he doesn't like it. No, nah, man, it's not just Iniesta who has a problem with it. I guarantee it. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know anyone who really likes this referee. I remember he was the guy who was refereeing the, Itali- the Italy game. That was, the you know, qualifier, the was, Sweden. Yeah, the, the one that was supposed to get them in the World Cup. And if Italy, if the coach hadn't been so dumb with his selection and tactics, Lahoz would have been a bigger story because his refereeing that game was absolutely awful. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no one likes him. 
He was the. I'll just say when your referee is the protagonist, and there's not been a great match, and you know this this match easily could have gone either way. Like it could easily have ended in a tie. Um, and Lahos wasn't to blame, guys, for the absolutely catastrophic giveaway in in the defense where Sergio Ramos essentially passed it to an Espanol attacker who had a one on one chipped Courtois and like plonked it off the crossbar. I mean. That was incredibly lucky for Real Madrid, and if if that ball goes in, uh, we are probably singing a very different song right now. Yeah, I, you know, you know what though, I I feel like I don't know if there's any game that we will just never concede chances, and obviously when it when we concede chances in this manner, it's like something totally preventable, like that Borja Iglesias chance to hit the bar. It's more frustrating than you know maybe if the t- the opposing team actually builds builds up a really beautiful uh, passing sequence and, and gets a shot on goal. But uh, in my crazy, maybe possibly delusional, optimistic lens is that we held this team. This kind of goes back to some of the stuff we said at the beginning of the season, knowing that we lose Ronaldo's shot volume and obviously his goals, how to compensate. We hope for an uptick from Bale and Benzema and Asensio and Isco and others. Um, and, you know, maybe with Mariano, he, he scores 10 to 15. But we also brought forward the other proposition, or maybe it goes hand-in-hand hand with this, and this is something Lopetegui himself talked about, is reducing the number of chances that the opposing team creates, and therefore reducing the number of chances we require. Our XG was quite low in this game. It was 1 point something. Espanol's was 0.58, I believe. Um, so on, and in that sense, I still think like the fact that we were able to limit them to that, to that one really golden chance, and that was just a Ramos brain fart, I'm not saying like, you know, this is just everything is just daisies and daffodils, but I really thought some of it was overblown the fact that job done. Like we we really limited the chances of the opposition and and controlled the game and got a W without our our main goal scorer. So, I'm kind of going to go on my like little spiel where like I give a tactical breakdown um and I don't do know it. if you guys want. I don't know Let's if you go. guys want to get me small points for that, but um, yeah, I have three main points to touch on. There was so much to talk about this game, but there were three main kind of <laughs> tactical things I saw. So one was the Espanol high press. Like Gabe, you kind of touched on that. The refereeing certainly allowed that for that to tr- for that to thrive. But Espanol were really well organized. They're really intense, um, and they deserve a lot of credit. So essentially, what I saw was. It, they they had um, a four three three kind of like ours, and the front three pressed all the way to the keeper. So you had Iglesias who would press Courtois, and he would block off the passing lane to Casemiro when he was doing it. And then you had Piatti and Perez would press Ramos and Varane, and then you had our central midfielders man marked and our fullbacks man marked, and that was how they were trying to prevent us from moving up the field. And I think we actually did a fairly decent job. Like, I think we had 19, a little less than 19 passes, successful passes before successful defensive action from them, which means their high press wasn't all that successful. But there were key moments, especially with Courtois, who completed only three out of 12 long balls, that we just looked shaky. And Espanol's high press 
you know, it, it, it really destabilized us at some points. Casemiro, yeah. surprisingly good. I mean, he didn't, he didn't lose the ball once. And there were some situations where he was pressed by two or three players in different directions. I think he had his best game on the ball, probably like top two, top three best games on the ball that I've ever seen. And I was really impressed with his performance. Um, so there was that, which I think was the main way Espanyol created problems for us. And then I think once we got into the final third, we didn't really do as much as I would have liked us to. But there was this interesting tactical thing that Lopetegui did with the wingers and fullbacks. So Isco had like Isco kind of had a weird role, right? Like if you look at the pass map from eleven taken eleven, Isco is like right in the middle because he moved everywhere. So one of one of the things that Lopetegui did with him was him and. Was Isco and Asensio were constantly swapping flanks. So that's why Isco's like average position is kind of in the middle. But it was more than that as well. Asensio, no matter which flank he was on, and was usually the left, was usually keeping the width, while Isco would kind of come inside like an attacking midfielder. And that affected their relationship with the fullbacks they were next to. So whether it was Nacho or Odriozola, with Asensio, they would kind of stay inside almost in an inverted position. Whereas with Isco, you know, the fullback would take on a more traditional role. But it didn't really seem to result in much. Like, I think the best shots that Asensio got off were when Nacho um, was making traditional overlaps down the left and feeding balls into the box to him. So it, I, I don't know if this was necessarily a, a specific thing that Lopetegui planned. I know that it was obvious that he wanted Isco and Asensio to switch flanks. But about the whole like inverted fullback and traditional fullback thing, I don't know if that was just a result of Isco's natural tendencies and the and Odriozola and Nacho adjusting to it or concerted scheme that Lopetegui wanted to institute. Whatever it was, it didn't really do that much. And I think part of that had to do for two reasons. One, we didn't have Kroos and his rapier-like diagonals are key at exploiting the space that the fullback creates and usually it's the Carvajal and Odriozola was actually in a lot of space but we didn't exploit it enough because when Isco came inside Odriozola the Espanyol fullback came inside and therefore Odriozola was in space but we didn't really access it enough so that's maybe why it didn't result in anything and also because Bale was missing we lost that presence in the box so whenever we created a free cross through this strategy there was really only Benzema there, and even then Benzema wasn't providing that great of a presence. So then the third thing was the second half, where it kind of all changed, was in the beginning, Isco came inside, like he, he abandoned whatever he was doing in the first half and just kind of stuck to whatever wing Asensio was on. So it was like mostly on the left, it was these huge left-sided overloads. It looked, it looked pretty nice. We got a couple of shots. I think Isco and Modric got two of the best shots to start the half. And then Lopetegui changed everything by bringing on uh, Lucas Vazquez for Ceballos, I think it was, and his coach just moved into midfield. And that substitution hurt us because Lucas Vazquez was a liability under the press. I mean, he's not usually a liability, but we know he's not the best in tight situations, and it showed versus Espanyol. And, you know, I think we lost control of the game at that point, and that's when Espanyol started to look more dangerous. Um, and Marianne obviously came before that, but I didn't think that had much of a thing to do with us losing control. And then I think Lopetegui saw all of that and realized we needed to be more defensively stable and then brought on Llorente. And I thought Marcos did, had a really good game. He was solid defensively. He played some nice balls on the counter. 
Um, but that just kind of moved us into a defensive 4-2-3-1 that just ceded control of the game completely. And that's not something that I was particularly happy with because I don't think we can suddenly defend deep after we're dominating possession and still look that solid because that's just not our mentality. I mean, in the 89th minute, Sergio Ramos was running up into the box in open play, not even on a set piece, an open play to try to score. And we were only 1-0 up. If you want to sit deep, if you want to park the bus, then there needs to be a different mentality in this team. And we just don't have it, which is okay. I just think we need to see out games in the dominant position with the ball at our feet, dominating possession, unless from minute one, like in games we've seen over the past six, seven years against Bayern Munich, which Carlo Ancelotti did, if we start from minute one, we pre- prepare a week to park the bus, we can do it. But otherwise, I don't like I don't like this change that Lopetegui did. We've seen Benitez do it in the past. We've seen Zidane do it, and all of them decided it wasn't good. And Lopetegui's going to have to learn that real quick. Oof. That's a lot. That was a lot. I'm just going to say it. I like it. So though. I, 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 yeah, I, th- I think um, I think pretty much everything you said is accurate. I would I would add a couple things, but I think just kind of frantically taking notes on what you were saying, uh, just try to try to I guess discuss them chronologically. Uh, I think that Eastwind's Asensio interchangeability was interesting because and Gabe and I talked about it on the midweek pod when when you were we were kind of asking about Eastwind and Asensio and. And um, who plays, who should play in what role and, and all this. And and I said, you know, if you had to choose and everybody's healthy, I would lean towards Asensio because the interchangeability he has for Bale, which to me looked much smoother than the way kind of Isco did it. And I thought while Isco was 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 good in this game, I thought it, w- it felt a bit awkward when he linked up with Odrizola on the right flank. And I think some of that was because... He, you know, it's East Coast tendency is to like show for the ball um, in, you know, like millimeters away from a teammate. And even though like, you know, Audrey Zola was kind of confused, like there was chances where he could cross it and he scored running over and asked for the ball. And Audrey Zola was like, okay, well, you're the alpha, I guess. And here's the ball. And there were, there were other times where Audrey Zola would, would look up and kind of see Modric or Isco in the box. Um, sparsely attended in the box and, and, and flooded with Espanol defenders. And he's like, well, I can't cross. And I thought, obviously, a solution there is just a clear solution is Gareth Bale, who helps with a lot of that stuff. Um, I think just kind of just to add a couple things to what Ohm said, and, and you, we refer, you refer to the past maps. I think one of the tell, telling things about the past map, and it's been a, basically a thing throughout the entire season, whether it's Odria Zola or Carvajal, a lot of Real Madrid's play is funneled to the left. And Odria Zola or Carvajal can make that overlapping run. And this wasn't that dissimilar to that. I think one thing, though, is you didn't necessarily have Cruz's constant ability to switch the ball. Although I think Ceballos does it in his own way. Uh, Ceballos kind of, he doesn't play those long, really long vertical passes, but he can look up and just get the ball there quickly um, or or use an extra man in between to get the ball over there quickly. So I think that was present, but not as much with Cruz, which leads me to a couple of other things. I think Ceballos was fantastic in this game. And I think in a, in a different, Agreed. completely different, yeah, different player that. than Tony Cruz, obviously, yep. altogether. But he has his own stylistic way of playing. But, you know, in a game where we had to create his four key passes in just about an hour of play was very incisive. 
to me, one of the reasons we held Espanol to such a low XG is because Espanol just could not get out of the back. And I think our 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 press was quite good, and Ceballos was a huge part of that. And Ceballos has always been very good at kind of understanding where to go in a Lopetegui scheme. Um, I thought he was pressing brilliantly, and the team was cohesive behind him. I thought he covered for Nacho quite well anytime Nacho went up the field. Um, and, you know, would sprint back if needed. And Casemiro was the other one. Oh, I already mentioned about Casemiro, but I thought Casemiro was really good, and there was just a few times where it was like, it was him who was just kind of getting the team where Ramos mis- misplaced a pass. So I think all of that, there were definitely good signs. And again, if we're going to limit opponents to, to, to chances, we stopped yeah. them in their own third, which I thought we did quite well in this game. I agree. And, and it was a, it, Go ahead. I just want to quickly add, because I know I've talked a lot already, but I think Keon's point about the press is a really good one. And that's that's also why I didn't see a need for us to like step back and, and go deep, because our counter-pressing was really good. And we've seen that from day one with Lopetegui, is he's made us quite a good pressing side. And I think we don't necessarily... And we do it a little more selectively than other teams, so it doesn't look like we're getting exhausted in that sense. So... I just didn't see the need to drop deep, and I thought we kind of gave away control of the game when we were controlling it, not just with the ball, but when we lost it, we were immediately winning it back in Espanyol Concrete. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. One of the interesting things about this match was that Madrid came out from the beginning and looked to, to, to execute counter-presses uh, quickly and uh, uh, and efficiently in Espanyol's half from the beginning of the game. Like, we've seen Madrid in, in other matches kind of sit back and maybe uh, try to do the counter-press more in the second half. But this one, everyone was in buying in from the very beginning. Very impressive, I thought. Uh, and um, I think we're going to see more of this. I mean, really, well, I mean, Ohm and I had a conversation earlier today with some uh, with uh, uh, Jamin Moore, who was talking about how uh, you know one of the things that the new kind of advanced statistics are showing us is how important it is to win when you win a ball in the oppositions have how big a deal that is um, in terms of just the the chance that you're going to score. So. I think that entirety of football is going to move towards more of this kind of more of a pressing style. So I'm very excited and, and glad to see that. I also wanted to just add to your point about Odrio Zola. I mean, the the kid is very good. I was very, very impressed today. And what was also, I think, impressive about his performance today was that the teammates really were using his speed. Like you would see these balls that you're, you know, that the instinct says no one is making this. And then Mm. he would make it, he would go and get those balls and keep them in play and, and trigger attacks. And, and Espanol had to spend a lot of time dealing with his speed. You would see opponents back off of him. You would see people, you know, have to worry about balls and behind them that normal people wouldn't be able to make it to. He is very fast. Uh, and I thought he was also very, you know, equipped. He was very, you know, strong and and useful defensively, which is a, a you know, I think a, a bit of a change from last season. Very, very, very good pickup. And now you see why Carvajal is, try- is working so hard it's because this kid is, is the real deal. Yeah, I mean that, and that was, you know, the thing that continually strikes me about him is exactly what you said: is that there's passes that look like they're overhit, and he just gets there. He just, you know. This is why he's called the Flash. <laughs> yeah, 
He is? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, this was a huge thing with Sociedad last season that fans would buy Flash T-shirts with his face on it and That's wear awesome. it in the stadium. That That's, That's yeah. really cool. We need, we need, we need we to, do to that. continue that. I yeah. want to yeah. do that. Someone make that shirt. I want to buy it. Dan. Daniel. By the way, everyone should go realmadridchamps.com. <laughs> yeah. Go buy your shirts. Those rule, dude. I've got a few yes. of them myself. Dan, and if you want to add a shirt with Odrio Stola on the and and just avoid any copyright issues, but you know what I'm saying, like, you know, how, you know, you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. I would buy the crap out of that phone, out of that, out of that shirt. That's what I'm saying. Um, let's see. I, I'm looking at my notebook. I'm trying to find some other things. I I was also very impressed. I mean, so I, I think one of you tweeted this. This match shows how important Bale is to this scheme, and that that, that they looked too close. Yeah, that was me. And yeah, um, the the expected goals bore that. I mean, it really did. It was Madrid only had something like one point something expected goals, and that actually is a huge, quite a bit of quite a dip for Real Madrid generally, which, as a team, averages I think around three expected goals. Yeah, I. I think the thing is is really that that's kind of what I think people are kind of underrating about we lost Ronaldo. I just don't think it's that simple that other players step up and like chip in. Like I think that happens, right? Like honestly, that's what we've been seeing thus far. But it's just going to be a lot tighter. And Bale is really the only other player after Ronaldo leaves that can produce. The high, the volume, and the quality at a, an absolutely world class rate. Yeah, and I think I think we're we're still hoping Benzema will get there. Like from an expected goal perspective, Benzema has not at the moment. I mean, even when he started off the season scoring well, he was scoring well above his expected goals. Um, and I think today we saw a little bit of the Benzema the last two seasons where he was fairly good. Um, in possession, fairly good at helping us move up the pitch, fairly fairly good at helping us beat the press, but was just a non-factor in the box. He had one shot and was from yeah. outside the box, and otherwise he didn't really provide much else. To me, it, it was kind of similar in the Athletic Bilbao game, but I was a lot less critical because his role against the press was absolutely instrumental. I mean, Athletic Bilbao was suffocating us so much. If we didn't have Benzema on the field, yes, it totally. would have been a lot worse. But this game... Benzema played his role, but players like Ceballos were a lot more crucial to us beating the press. And I think we really, really missed that presence in the box and the ability for someone like Bale to just create shots for themselves. And that is why I, I'm just always just knocking on wood whenever I talk about Bale, because if he gets injured, I think that's a real worry for us because, yeah, for a certain period of time, Asensio will pick up the odd goal. Isco will as well, maybe from a free kick like we saw in the Champions League. But when it comes to, to, to week in, week out, producing high-quality shots and being, from an expected goal perspective, expected to score goals nearly every game, Bale is the only player we have now for that. And that's why we're going to have to really hope from some from some seasons, from great scoring seasons, from a career perspective, from the likes of Mariano Isco, Asensio, and especially Karim Benzema, if we don't want to look thin in that department. I my feeling, um, my feeling is that we will probably. I mean, we will probably see a signing, but in this match, it would have been very interesting to see Mariano 
a little bit earlier than he came on. Um, I'm not. I, I I actually don't think he was great um, in the time that he had. But I think that this may have been a game where just his m- more like playing more of a traditional nine role could have been useful for for Madrid uh, against this this um, this Espanol side that played a very physical uh, but and very compact defensive match like. They, they didn't seed the ball to Madrid exactly, but what they did do is whenever Madrid got the ball, uh, Espanol managed to get back in, posi- like back in correct position, break down the passing lanes, and then hit Madrid and hit him hard. Like, uh, there were a lot, a lot of plays in this match that were very, 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 very physical. Uh, and I think a player like Mariano could have maybe brought a level of, of physicality to the team that Benzema, for whatever reason, just doesn't bring. And also just play more, playing more as that, uh, as that traditional nine sort of forces them to deal with that, um, that presence in their box at all times. I don't know what you guys thought. Um, I don't think I would have started him, but I think I may have given him more like 40 minutes out there, like or, or, or 30. Yeah, I think, I think he has a case because... Uh, I mean, going back to the Benzema discussion, we we did talk about his, you know, his uptick in shots this season. It may have normalized a little bit now, whereas in the first couple of games, he was doing like four to six, if I remember correctly. Uh, he's averaged out around two, 2.2 now, which is pretty much his career average, um, unless he's playing for France, which is like in World Cup, Euro Cup, he's done like four to six shots per game. But I think... Um, if that normalizes, and it will may normalize also, it's interesting to see because his dynamic with playing against with alongside Asensio and Isco was a bit different. Where they all kind of do not identical things, but a lot of similar things in dropping deep and trying to create. Um, and as Omani, I think it was Omani who discussed this on the podcast a few weeks ago, where like when we were talking about what the definition of link up play actually is, and we yeah. were talking about yeah, yeah. how. Um, how in in theory, the more players you have in your team who can drop deep and create and move between the lines, the better. And I thought actually, if you go and look at the team structure offensively in this game, despite not having a prolific amount of chances, I like the movement from Isco Asensio and Benzema generally moving behind the lines, and it was never stagnant. But that killer shot creation from Bale was missing, and I'm not, you know, it's. I don't know if Mariano changes it completely, but I think he, I think you're right. I think he, I think he at least has a case because if if Bale's not playing, maybe you 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 kind of shift things around and put Mariano in there so he can. Because one thing I did notice immediately the the body language from Nacho, for example, to put a cross in was much different. When as soon as Mariano came in, like one of the first possessions he came in, Nacho looked up and tried to get in the ball in the box, and maybe that's also part of the reason why. You know, Ramos is, was trying to get in there late. I'm not excusing it, but we just really didn't <laughs> have that presence in 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 the box. Um, and you know, Mariano, for his very limited time on the pitch, did have a couple key passes um, uh, and a shot. And you know, at least I think caused some some chaos. It might not have been the perfect you know game from him, but I think his in theory what he brings to the table. You know, he has a case to start. In, in in this particular situation where there's no there is no bail. Yeah. I mean yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean I think see the thing is with Benzema is he has 
only one headed goal over the last two league seasons. And if you include this season, that's two. That's not, those are not promising numbers. I mean, if you go back to the 2015, 16 season where like that was Benzema's goal scoring peak, it was a lot better. I think he scored like five or six headed goals in the league, which is quite impressive considering Bale also scored like a career high in headed goals. And obviously you have Ronaldo who's superb in the air. So again, like it's still early We'll see how Benzema adapts, but looking at the historical trend and, and knowing what we know about Benzema now, he just doesn't provide that threat in the box, even when he's free to do so, because he's just not as sharp, as strong, and as quick as he used to be. I mean, it's just natural physical decline, which is why I think when Bale isn't there, because in, in a similar way, I wouldn't say that Benzema is playing like the same role he's playing with Ronaldo, but when Bale is there, he's kind of also, you know, kind of moving out and, and 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 kind of enhancing Bale's ability to find spaces in the box. He's ensuring he's not getting in Bale's way. He's still more of a facilitator, but because Ronaldo's shot volume isn't there, Benzema still has more chances to shoot. But when Bale isn't there, and we have someone like Isco and Asensio who who don't shoot a lot, and when they do, it's not necessarily always the highest quality attempts. You would need, you would logically then need someone who produces a lot of shots and in, in, in pretty high quality situations. And I think if we're going to rotate like this, I think you should rotate Benzema out of the lineup as well and put and put Mario Mariano on because you already have so many creative playmakers who just it isn't in their DNA to shoot that much. You need someone like Mariano. But in the end of the day, it didn't really hurt us. Like Kian said, there was still a lot of nice stuff going on. Benzema was still a pretty key part in us dominating possession and also in our pressing, which he doesn't get enough credit for, but we'll see. It's an interesting thing to keep track of. I'm looking more through my notes. I think, Keon, I think it's time, man. I think it's time. Marcos Llorente came on, come on, putting, putting in a huge shift. I actually really wanted, I think maybe his best game uh, with the first team. Incredibly, I thought he was incredibly good. My only complaint is that he came on during the time I was writing my reaction. So, I, and and that's why it took me so long to write my reaction because I had to keep flipping screens to to not miss any time. You know, the commentator was mentioning his name. Uh, you know, this is. I mean, uh, not to say we're surprised, but when we talked about this on previous podcasts, and 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 uh, and again, this is goes back to a podcast Om and I recorded a few weeks ago. We were talking about the case for Llorente more often because of what he brings to the table. Like stylistically, in theory, it's 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 exactly what Lopetegui needs. He reads the game, covers passing lanes, distributes quite quickly and efficiently. Um, and I thought, you know, it kind of you saw the flashes of Alaves Marcos, and we we only said like he just needs a couple a game or two to just break in and gain Lopetegui's trust, and this was a good start for him. Um, uh, you know, I'll be, it's not, it's, I don't even know if it's fair to say we saw Mark, uh, Alaves' version of Marcos, because I thought, I think overall Marcos has, has looked quite good this year. Um, but because maybe what he did in this particular game was more flashy or more visible to, to like, the stuff we're desensitized to, like, the stuff he does without the ball and stuff, um, maybe it just sticks out more, and um, I guess the the one main play that sticks out, where I you know I was just kind of holding my 
my seat and also just gradually getting out of it very slowly. And then by the time the ball came to him to shoot, yeah. I was I was just hands in my head. Just I was like, please God, please God, let me have this moment. But you know, it's not <laughs> it's not it's not his forte also to, to kind of shoot from that. From where he is, it's not his game at all. Like that kind of shooting an offensive. Uh, cu- cu- no, but I mean, he hit it. He hit it well, and he hit it. He did. He he made a good run up there. Yeah, and he got in the right position. He just hit it right at the keeper. It happens to the best of them. Uh, but that wasn't even. I mean, one of the things that his addition brought was in a game that was getting out of hand for Madrid because of the physicality, uh, because of the the terrible and and random refereeing, uh, and because of the Madrid's seeming inability to deal with the the combination of the those two things, uh, he brought some level of calm and control back to the match, and that is exactly what I am. What I would want from uh, from from Marcos, and what he also did, Keon, that I was very impressed by was he played some great defense. Yeah, um, you know, I had uh, from what I saw, um, you know, I took note. He had a really nice interception when he came on, and I thought just. He was constantly moving without the ball to ensure that he's just helping helping to cover um, as much as he can in a game where you just need to secure it. So I think whatever Lopetegui said to him and said, you know, just make sure to to cover and ensure we get these three points. And he went in there, and I thought, you know, he worked hard, which 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 we're not too surprised about. But also, I thought he he was very smart about but covering and covering those passing lanes and and. Um, you know, definitely wasn't a liability on the ball at all. Not that he is, but, you know, completed all of his passes. didn't misplace any of them. So this is a good start for him. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really good start. Very impressive uh, for for me. One of the highlights of this entire match. Um, I don't have any more to uh, say specifically about this match. I don't know if you guys have <clears throat> stuff in your notebooks you want to bring up. Want to chat about? Um, I'm happy to go to questions, though. I mean, I had some things to say about Llorente, but it's related to a specific question. So Perfect. other than that, I'm ready to move on. All right. Keon? Um, let's do questions. Let's all do right. questions. Let's go. Let's go. Um, all right. Mix it up. Um, Saad. <laughs> God. I've done... It's a long day, man. Doing wedding plan. I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> no, crazy. please do not be sorry. I thought it was a great transition for it. It was great. It's all staying in. Um, yeah. <laughs> Saad Omar. Oh, by the way, if you toss us a few dollars, um, three dollars uh, a month, and you get access to all of our patron content. Five dollars a month, and you get your question answered on every show, guaranteed. One question. So. Um, these are from our guaranteed $5 patrons, uh, and there are some pretty good questions this week, I think. Um, Saad Omar asks us, Hey guys, would you guys be writing any pieces on the new Bernabeu Stadium improvements that are being planned? I've never gotten to visit the Bernabeu. I hope you someday. Is there a particular time of the year you would recommend we visit? Uh, I, you we, know. we did write a piece on the, the sta- stadium improvements. Um, Matt, I mean, Matt Wilsey wrote, wrote, wrote two. Yeah. He wrote two. Um, we've talked about this, I think, on pods before. Um, yeah, so there is content out there from us on this. 
Um, I'd be, I mean, one of the things about that's going on with this is people are misunderstanding sort of what it is and we're trying to correct that misunderstanding, but it's, it is present and consistent and constant, um, to the, and it it rises to the level of, um, Ramon Calderon, the former president of Real Madrid, having, um, an absolute like meltdown on Twitter today that involved, uh, him comparing... He has like he doesn't have many followers and he only got like one like on that. It was weird. <laughs> yeah, because no one it's really fucking knows insane. Him. Because what I, he's saying I mean, is that, nuts. That rant was amazing, absolutely amazing. I I can't believe this guy was our ex president. He 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 does a classic Twitter meltdown thing where he just tweets through it, and like he says something like. You know, he call he compares Florentino Perez to a dictator who spat all over every Spaniard. Uh, he he went on to do the classic old person thing of using his phone to take a picture of his computer screen. Um, on the computer screen were uh, slides from some sort of PowerPoint that he gave in like 2006. I mean, it was a it was a full nut job rant, like you know, losing his mind kind of thing about this uh, about this relatively cheap and relatively uh, obvious uh, investment. So he's, yeah, he's having a normal one. Um, he also retweeted some article. I don't know what that was. Yeah, um. It was an article that was essentially just attacking Florentino Perez. It said like something like this finance, the financial legacy of the stadium deal will carry over for the next, like either it will carry over for the next 160 years or it will allow Florentino to be in power in some capacity till he's 106. It was something insane insane like that. People are losing their minds over this. They they just don't, I mean, to be frank, this is a a very cut and dry issue. The, the, Improvements have been in the works forever. The stadium will be inc- upgraded to include a series of things that bring in more money. These are it's a it's a capital expenditure that you're you're you know doing buying stuff to improve real properties. One of the safest investments in in all of the world. Uh, banks love to give give you know, you money to do that because what it means is that you're, the property that you own goes up in value, and that's exactly what's going to happen. He's going to turn the Bernabeu from what it is, which is a great stadium, but a little like a little aging, into a state of the art modern new stadium that will include what I'm understanding a couple of like five star Michelin restaurants and uh, uh, maybe even a hotel. I mean, this is. I mean, it's a total revamp, um, and it's the model that a lot of American stadiums are co- going with now, and it's it's a uh, it's a really good investment, I think, and it's pretty crazy that the way that people are having their like just absolute nut jobs. I mean, there's some level of hatred of debt that is what that is driving this. People just re- reject the idea that Real Madrid would you use corporate bonds or you know take out a loan from a bank to pay for this, but. It's just that's how that is a normal thing that 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 organizations do, and and it's a way to you know increase the amount of uh, profit that you get off the eventual end product. I mean, leverage is good as long as you're like a stable and well structured business. You should have some amount of your money that you spend on things coming in the form of loans. It's just the, it's how you make money. Well, yeah, I mean, it's how you do that and preserve cash flow, and I mean. I you know go back and obviously read the the articles that Matt wrote. I guess the latest update for this. I mean, um, 
maybe we can, you know, post this on the site too, but, you know, just because we're, we're discussing it. Um, the latest update is that it's, it's pretty well going to go ahead. And um, there are a few just kind of details of the loan and the, the, financial, um, the financial side of things and, and how it's going to be broken down. And that I think maybe needs to be approved, but it's pretty much going to go through and just kind of talking about the finances of it. It's going to cost around $525 million, which is going to be funded. Um, and Florentino said today that, you know, the interest rates right now are the lowest they've, they've been in a long time, and this is the right time to move ahead with it. Um, it's, it's expected and estimated that the club will get $150 million in revenue, additional revenue every year just from the stadium. It's just in, it's, um, it's such a no-brainer. Yeah. It's, hard to, it's hard to even... Just think of it like the, those giant, the entire stadium is a giant screen. Do you know how much it'll cost to put an advertisement on that? You know, yeah. Um, the shopping center alone, it's 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 progressive. It's financially lucrative. It makes sense. You know, you're. I you know, I think we're all for it. Um, yeah. In terms of visiting the Bernabeu, um, there's no specific time of year you should go. Um, I would. I mean, I like going in the summer. You don't have the issue of running into a game um, if you just want to visit the stadium. If you if you want to go to the Bernabeu and experience a game, then you have to go during the season. So that that the season runs from about September all the way through, hopefully like you know early May. I mean. Yeah. That's it. Early <laughs> That's May, when, early June. Early June, yeah. Sorry for us. For us, early. It's it's always late. Yeah, um, late into the season, which is a good thing, right? Um, I mean, there. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think you would want to time it with a game because then you you can do the tour of the museum, whatever, which is always cool. But you can also go to a game, and if you can swing a big game, do a big game because the atmosphere is obviously going to be better. Um, Essa Hariri asks us. Um, Hey guys, uh, two questions. Um, although I was laughed at by my friends, I was actually one of the few people who were and still are optimistic about this season, this team, and this coach. However, I'm worried about our depth quality. Who is Marcelo's uh, replacement? He cannot play every game this season, and Nacho does not help much offensively. Who is Casemiro's replacement? Clearly, Llorente is not ready nor trusted by Lopetegui. <laughs> who is Kroos's re- replacement? Ceballos is very good. I don't see, but I don't see him doing the switch of play with accurate crosses and vertical passes that Kroos does with ease. Don't you think Ceballos needs to be more? This is like nine questions, but whatever. This needs to be more um, if he wants to be a starter more than just moving around and passing the ball. And the second question is: the new stadium plan official now? All right, we already answered that. Um, okay, depth depth questions. Who's Marcelo's replacement? I mean, we discussed this previous podcast, like Nacho, and we're just going to have to be content with that because we loaned Teo. I think all of us kind of said, eh, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world, but we would have preferred Teo to stay here because we could have seen him getting a lot of minutes. But this is just gonna how it's going to be for the rest of the season. Um, if Marcel is not playing, it's Nacho. Yep, that's it. That's how it is. Um and so, yeah, Nacho doesn't offer as much offensively as Marcelo, but no left back in the world offers as much offensively as Marcelo. He is, I mean, he he created and pioneered this position. This is, I, I just, I don't know what to say. You can't, the, 
it's like, how do you replace Cristiano Ronaldo? You don't. You don't. You just you have to have a slightly different game plan when you don't have the best left back in the world uh, playing for your team, starting for your team. Yeah, my only uh, it. I guess I I don't have much to add, but I'm I'm kind of baffled at what happened to Sergio Regulion because. Um, Oh yeah, yeah. He just kind of just disappeared. He's not playing in Castilla. He's not. Uh, he's not playing with the A team. I just. I don't know what exactly happened to him. Yeah, it's a little and strange. Honestly, I think if you wanted a stopgap and you wanted to help develop this guy, I think. I think he was ready. I think everyone who paid attention to him, even if you just looked at preseason, he seemed ready to step up. And so, it's curious that we decided not to do that, especially when. Nacho can get minutes as a center back because we know we have injury issues with Vallejo. Varan is always questionable. So, but I mean, I guess we'll we'll manage because in previous seasons we didn't have you know Carvajal didn't have a backup and we've always been able to manage. So I I guess it's just how it's going to be. Um, in terms of Casemiro's replacement, I think Llorente is ready um, and he is earning Lopetegui's trust with. Um, play and and you know shifts like he did against uh, Espanol. Um, Lobotegi has clearly uh, experimented with Kroos playing a little deeper, um, with Modric playing a little deeper. Um, I don't know if there's a again. I don't know if there's a direct replacement for some of these players. Like you just have to switch the scheme around. So I this is where where I kind of wanted to like say my bit on Llorente. So I agreed with all of what you said, but I think there's there's a a plausible reason for why Lopetegui hasn't seemed too enamored with with Llorente beyond just the fact that like I don't want to hear the, the, <laughs> the, weird, the weird rumors earmuffs he, earmuffs going up he's not doing well in training which I don't know if I completely buy but that I think the fact that Lopetegui has decided to play Kroos as the second option defensive midfielder is really telling for what he wants as an alternative to Casemiro so he just doesn't want someone who's better on the ball he wants someone who provides something like to the opposite end of what Casemiro provides, which is like just brilliance on the ball in all facets. So not just press resistance, not just ball retention, but with the switches of play, with the vertical passing. And I think that's why he put Kroos there because if because if Lopetegui, because we've seen Lopetegui kind of trying to adjust around Casemiro, I think he's settled on how he wants to do it. But especially early in the season, we saw a lot of permutations and combinations. Lopetegui, I think, is saying. If I'm not going to have Casemiro's supreme defensive abilities, which is what I'm making so many adjustments for, then I don't think it's worth it to then like compromise in the middle. If I'm not going to have Casemiro, then I want a superb player on the ball. And I think Llorente is maybe just a bit too much in the middle for his liking. Because despite the fact that Llorente is better than Casemiro at passing, he's better, press re- he's better with press resistance, his strongest skills by far are still his defensive abilities. It's just a different way from Casemiro. So I think when Lopetegui says if Casemiro is not on the field, I want Kroos. I mean, that, that could obviously change. Um, maybe Lopetegui thinks, ah, the risks are just too much when I play Kroos, so maybe Llorente is the best option. But I think that's the thought process that's going through his head. So I think far. I think Lopetegui is gonna and has and in his career and will now continue to switch up schemes based on the players that he has available and based on the players that he wants to start. 
you're not going to, you don't have the kind of rigidity that Zidane had where you really needed a like for like replacement for every player because if someone got injured, it wasn't like they were going to change the scheme. But with Lobategi, I think we, we will see changes in scheme. We have seen changes in scheme. So, you know, it's, it's, I, I just, I think these, these questions are important, but they're also, it's a different, we're living in a different world in terms of Real Madrid right now. We have a new coach who's kind of feeling things out. And, you know, I think we'll see. Uh, there are schemes where you can hide, um, you know, say, a, uh, uh, you can play without a defensive midfielder or someone, you have someone playing deep, but you're not really a traditional defensive midfielder. You can make the scheme work and not give up too many uh, problems defensively. It's just he has to think about how exactly to do that. So I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't, these, these are tough questions because I'm not sure they are um, – I, I'm not sure that, the, that 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 this is the exact answer. I think the the question, the better question is, wh- what what scheme should or what you know tactic tactic should Lobotegi employ when Casemiro is out, and and less about who it should come in like for like for Casemiro. Well, I think I think you I think Llorente needs to make a little bit of an adjustment to his playing style because I think with Castilla and it's it. It's his opinion, others a whole. I don't know about you, Keon, but his passing was a lot braver and it was more vertical. And then I think his stint at Alaves, it's difficult because, again, scheme affects this. But that element of his game just kind of disappeared. Yeah. Like, he plays too safe at times and he really needs to, to look to instigate things on the ball in, in a similar... Obviously, it can't. it's not going to be at the level of Kroos. Like we just, Kroos is one of the greatest of all time when it comes to this, but... He needs to adapt his playing style to, I want to say, be more direct, but be more vertical, be more proactive in possession, look to start plays rather than just laying it off to to the central midfielders ahead of him. Because if he just does that all the time, then I think Lopetegui can rightly say, yeah, sure, maybe you're a bit safer in against presses, but then what's the real difference between you and Casemiro? I mean, Casemiro's better defensively, so... I might as well play him or just go with Kroos instead if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I think uh, I'm I'm careful to brand his, I guess, his vertical passing as a weakness because with Alaves, the weird thing about it was that because they played in such a deep low block uh, under Pellegrino, uh, because, you know, they only they had the resources they had. Um, when he did get the ball, he made an interception or he just was able to win possession he would look up and he would find the quickest, the easiest, I wouldn't say easiest, but just the first outlet he would see, he would get it there. If there were no outlets, he would hold the ball, do his, you know, little famous turns, you know, kind of 360s and 180s until he finds an outlet. Oftentimes there were no vertical outlets. You know, there was, there was Daverson or Ibai Gomez in front of him sometimes, but they were marked. So I think for that reason, his vertical passing stats took a bit of a hit for those reasons. Um, and I, I mean, I, with Castilla, I don't know how much he was even, I guess, yeah, I think, I think you probably saw it more with Castilla, although he really started taking a leap at the end of his Castilla tenure, not so much in the season, but I think for what it's worth, I thought it's looked good this season. I I mean, it's not, like you said, it's never going to be, he's never going to be like Pirlo or Xavi or Kroos with it, but he he looked he looked fine with it yesterday. He looked fine with it this season. 
maybe that's something Lopetegui has been able to work with him on. You know, I, I don't think it's out of his toolbox, his skill set oh, to do that. Oh, absolutely not. I, yeah. I was just more of talking about like a, a mentality shift. But again, the sample size with him isn't great. I mean, last season, we didn't really see it again. Like I couldn't really see like that vertical passing and, and that more proactiveness in possession that I really want from him. But then again, some of the games he played in, especially the Copa del Rey, like our midfield was a mess. So it's it's hard. Yeah. Like like I think I think Keon, you're right to say to be careful about branding is is because there's so much context there. I I guess the only way is we'll see how it goes this season. But it's I'm just trying to like probe the mind of Lopetegui a bit. This might just be his perspective on the issue, but we'll see. Uh, let's go ahead. Um, Sajid Riaz asks us, um, with everyone talking about the fierce competition between Isco and Asensio, my question is, why can't they both play? Why not play the trio of Isco, Bale, and Asensio? And why isn't anyone talking about the elephant in the room, which is Kareem Benzema? His last three games against stronger opposition has been pretty lackluster. And Keon mentioned uh, about the fact that there was only Isco and Modric who arrived in the box for crosses in the absence of Bale in yesterday's match. The only question is, what is Benzema doing on this team if he's not a guy to get on the end of those crosses? So, um, all right, the first set of questions are about Isco, Bale, and Asensio. I think they can all play together, and we'll see it. I think we're going to see that that combination at some point. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I, I wrote about before the season started. I thought this this is... This is definitely a, a, a front three that would work, I think. Um, but, and I, you know, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that we'll see it a few times a season. I, I think with Mariano in the picture, maybe it's less, there's a less bit of an urgency to play Asensio as a false nine or play Bale kind of in that more central role um, because then you have Mariano who can also kind of slide in. But I like this. I like this trio. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I don't really agree with you guys here. Um, <clears throat> I just I'm always like been a little more cautious about talking about players as a false nine. Like there was this period where we're like, Hamas, you know, should play that role, and and Zidane did try him there, and it didn't work out at all because it takes a very specific skill set to be able to do it. I think Asensio honestly has the most potential out of them. I just Isco just doesn't have the mentality, in my opinion. He doesn't have the, the goal-scoring, you know, the goal-scoring mentality, the ability in the box. Whereas I think Asensio, he's more direct. He tends to be more incisive. I think, therefore, he has the best chance. And I definitely do not like Bill in a center-forward position. We saw that a ton last season, and that was what eventually led to Bill being benched because Zidane saw his form there. It wasn't good at all. So... I mean, Benzema has to be there because because he's really the only proper center forward we have aside from Mariano. I mean, I also wouldn't agree that his last three games have been lackluster. I think his game against Espanyol was lackluster, but his game against Athletic Bilbao was, was brilliant. I mean, he was one of, like we mentioned before, he was one of the key players to to, to, to beating the press against AS Roma. I thought he was fine. Um, but... Yeah, it's it's difficult. I'm open to seeing it being experimented with because obviously there's a strong chance that I'm I'm completely wrong here. But if it's going to happen, I think it would have to be Asensio in that false nine position. But I'm just 
you know, it's one of the things I can live without seeing um, in in my time watching Real Madrid. Well, I mean, this is, but this is why I'm saying, like, with Mariano, there's less of an urgency to play this front three because without yeah. when Mariano didn't wasn't signed, I mean, this was going to be a real thing we would probably have seen uh, if Benzema is not playing. Uh, but it's my reason, yeah. My reasoning behind it is that you know, albeit very, very small sample size, we saw with Spain, Asensio played that role to a T, and I think. You know, it's not something that we have a large sample size, obviously. It, but to me, prototypically, the way he plays, I think he can play that role because he's, to me, he's much out of the two between him and Isco. He's much better at dealing with a, a, a role where that requires some positional flexibility um, and understanding where to be in the false nine. He's kind of built to play it, and if false nine is not something that we we see too often in football. Um, and it's it's one of those things that only a few people can really play it, and it, it it has to require a really proper scheme to play it. But to me, before Mariano was signed, this was uh, an option. Like, it, and and uh, you know, my reasoning was behind because Asensio has played that role pr- perfection before. So it's not it wasn't inconceivable for me to see this front three. But again, with Mariano here, I I see less of an urgency to to need to shift it this way because I think Mariano is is very good at what he does. Shay Kateri's entire question is about Mariano. <laughs> uh, so Shay says, um, it's an interesting, interesting question. I, I, I don't think we need to go into the Benzema stuff so much, um, unless you guys are desperate to talk about that. Um, I think we've had, a, we've hashed that a fair, out a fair amount already. Um, uh, all right. Shay asks, um, comparing Asensio and Mariano, I had an observation. I'm a huge Asensio fanboy, but Mariano is a more mature player. I saw several, this is awesome, I saw several Aristotelian virtues, wisdom, courage, moderation, and prudence in him, unlike Asensio. The 87th minute attack with Asensio when he decided to carry the ball and not pass it to a free Mariano was the best contrast. Mariano, however, carried the ball today and against Roma, usually successfully, in difficult situations, and passed it off to the ideal teammate unexpectedly. He doesn't over or underdo his play. It is very interesting how mature he, although to be fair, he is older than Asensio, he is. Um, He always makes the best decision and is never in a hurry to pass, dribble, or shoot, always making the best decision at the best time. I really have loved his play in the limited time he has had. Truly a mature player. Three small notes. I wish we had played Marcelo or Carvajal. We were really toothless on both sides. Really quickly, I disagree with that. I think Odriozola was really good, and Madrid's play was directed through the right wing a fair amount, and through Odriozola. I, I think that he was good. Um... Our defensive strategy has been flawless, and we have conceded fewer goals so far than Atletico, as many as Barca with one game less, which means Barca conceded two to Girona, which means we scored um, fewer than Barca also. Um, we finally have learned how to press. <laughs> um, and this is one last note. Hey, Gabe, in case you're not on the show this midweek, I want to wish you a great wedding and an amazing marriage. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Um, I big, know. big week for, for Gabe Lestra. It is. Man, I'm so week, excited guys. for you, brother. Um, 
Shay says, I know from personal experience how difficult it is to find a woman who puts up with sports fanaticism, not to mention your out-of-wood-like adult son, Mariano, and uh, your gay boyfriend, Marcelo, on the side. It's true. Uh, that's that's correct. Um, I wish a lifetime of happiness and a big, beautiful family. Thank you, Shay. That means a lot. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. So there's, like, a lot here <laughs> of... <laughs> Well, okay, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna talk about the Essential Mariano thing because that seemed to be the biggest part of this. Yeah, dude. So I I don't know if I really like agree with this assessment of Mariano. I, mean, I think he is a pretty mature player because he's 25 years old and what Essential is like 21, I think. So I mean, I guess you'd expect, but like this, you know, as as um Shay describes it, he he always makes the best decision. He's never in a hurry to pass dribble or shoot. Always picks the best decision at the best time. I mean, I don't know if I really agree with that. Simply because Mariano's a fairly limited player. I mean, I love the guy. I argued in favor of him getting the number seven shirt, but what he's good at is shooting, shooting from distance, and and being a threat in the box, and not really that much else. I mean, his ability on the ball. When I, I actually noticed that some of his passes, like when he's trying, he had a couple of situations in the past couple of matches where he's trying to slide a pass. I think through to Asensio or Isco uh, on the last line of the defender, and it was just timed badly because that's just not his strength. So, and also because like Mariano's sample size of passes on the ball has been small. Like I don't really know if this is an assessment that we can make, like that he's super mature. I mean, if you look at his Leon games. He, it's just not like I, I don't want to say he's not, but it's just not something that stands out to you because if he gets the ball from outside the box, fifty percent of the time he's looking to strike it from range. Otherwise, he's just not involved in build up. So it's kind of a weird assessment to make, but I guess I guess sort of it stands. But yeah, I mean, I just say Asensio's ability decisions on the ball outside the box like far surpass Mariano's. Yeah, I mean, I think having said that, I think, um, and I mean, I mean, to me, this doesn't really have much to do with Asensio. Uh, and I guess to compare these particular traits is, it may be unfair. And I, I don't, I don't, I can't remember this specific moment in the 87th minute. Um, and I, you know, I can't really go back and watch it now. But I would say that I think what Mariano has done well this season is. Is is not be afraid to get his teammates involved, especially on a counterattack, um, and a, and things he did well against Roma, um, dropping deep to win possession and act as a ball carrier in transition, and then lay it off to a teammate. Um, but also, I don't, I th- I want Mariano to be selfish, uh, because outside of Bale, I think he's going to be one of those guys who will mm-hmm. who will be able to create goals from nothing for us. So mm-hmm. I think you know. In in that sense, I'm not sure I want Mariano to even be too too unselfish. Anyway, I think he's the one who needs to put the ball on the net, even if from it's even if it's from an absurd position to kind of create that chaos. I mean, yeah, he's good from range. You want him shooting from those positions. Uh, in terms of um, the defense, this is a th- I think a good thing to close out on. I I think we should be lauded this team should be lauded for their defensive work they've looked really good i mean obviously the catastrophic catastrophic giveaway from ramos was terrible but generally the defense has looked really good and that's with substitutions with different players rotating in and out 
I'm very impressed. The expected goals for Espanol was like 0.4, which was amazing, and it was basically all on that one shot. So, I mean, this is a, another great game for the defense. This is a game where uh, Madrid could have given up a lot more uh, opportunities to Espanol, but the defense was strong and it and it stood by and I I'm really excited about about the way that Lopetegui has organized the defense like I I'm something that I'd like to do is is go and see how many expected goals Madrid has allowed opponents to accrue over the season because my guess is that it's pretty pretty low uh you know so yeah so yeah I just pulled that up right now um just bear with me for a sec. Yeah, so for expected goals against... Yeah, never mind. <laughs> I'm looking at 2016, 17-18. Can't find it, but you can go to understat.com. You'll be able to see that statistic for yourself, and I'm assuming it'll be one of the best in the league. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we've gone through them individually after each game and, and discussed it, and I, I, don't, I don't remember it being high. I think the, the highest it's been... Was actually Bilbao, which was only like okay. One yeah, point I just something. pulled it up. Now we have the best expected goal against figure in the league, so we would it's have been expect- yeah. inspected to only concede three point five seven goals, and wow. we conceded three goals. So that yeah. is pretty incredible. Wow, We've never yeah, that's amazing. We just start. That's amazing. That's very impressive, especially against um, you know, Athletic and and Espanol, who both have strong teams. Uh, that's really good. Uh, okay, guys, that is your show for this week. Um, I need to go because I'm exhausted and need to do more wedding planning stuff. I will be um, on the Wednesday show. At least I plan to be, but I will be missing the show on next um, weekend, and I will be missing the show, uh, the next Wednesday show also, because I will be married. <laughs> Exciting times. Exciting times. All right. Um, all right, guys. So until Wednesday. Oh, then patron we- shoutouts. Yes, patron shoutouts. My bad. My bad. My bad. Okay. We'll do it quickly. As you guys all know, patreon.com slash managing is where you go to pledge. If you like the show, you want to get different rewards, access to bonus shows like our Lone Tracker podcast, our midweek Champions League slash La Liga slash Copa del Rey postgame shows, mailbags. Um, but also, you know, other rewards, um, which which you can check out on patreon.com slash managing Madrid. One of your rewards, if you pledge $10 or more, is you get a specific shout out on the podcast. So shout out to these $10 plus patrons. Sergio Monleon, Tyler Dixon, Raul Gutierrez, Gary Kohut, Peña Marerista, um, San Francisco Bay Area. All I right. You won. I love it. Welcome. Nick DeStefane, Raghav Potluri, Bjorn Salvador, Dan Berthy, John Fernandez, Frederick Sundros, Adolfo Chamale Perez, Anas Alazawi, Sheikh Atiri, Red Bat, Leon Stavernakis, Armin Gashi, Eric Rogers, Sujay Wani, Nick Robero, Yahya Ibrahim, Said Mahad, Vicky Cohen, Magnus Lex, Jason Fitz, Anton Hackberg, Solomon Ortiz, Jeanette, Jimmy Obey and Daniel Smith. Thank you all. Thank you all so much. You guys are awesome. wonderful. Thank you. And thank you to the, um, I know you're probably not listening to this, but to the uh, woman who wrote 
to me uh, at, uh, about my uh, article about Real Madrid's female um, lack of a women's team. Um, that meant a lot. So thank you. Um, all right, guys. Until Wednesday, then. Ala Madrid. Ala Madrid. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile. The most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus $30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.